Okay, we'll get started and hopefully a few more will join us uh, as we get going. Shall we pray and then uh, we'll just recap and get our bearings again in Mark's Gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, that we can come together again this evening. Father, we thank you that we can come to listen to your word. Uh, and we pray, Father, that as we gather, that you would uh, be present to teach us and build us up and strengthen us. We ask that you would uh, teach us through your word, remind us of who you are and what you've done for us, uh, and show us how to rightly respond to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right, so let's uh, get our bearings from where we were last time. Jesus has been on the way to Jerusalem with his disciples. Um, recapping a few weeks back now, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. And as he's been journeying with them, he's been repeatedly pointing them to his uh, death and resurrection that's going to happen in Jerusalem. And now in chapter 11, he's entered Jerusalem. And the backdrop uh, for chapters 11 to 13 is the temple. All of chapters 11 to 13 is happening around the temple. Uh, and the focus is also particularly on coming judgment. So remember, we had the cursing of the fig tree, didn't we? That was all leaves and no fruit. Uh, and that was paralleled by the cursing of the temple that place that had become a place of kind of man-made religion and outward formalities. Uh, there was no real fruit there or, or genuine devotion to God. The people there were just trusting in the temple and external ritual, uh, and they weren't trusting in, in God. Uh, and then last week we saw these religious leaders, didn't we, rejecting Jesus' authority. And that means they were rejecting God's authority. And Jesus had warned them that that was uh, foolish. Uh, that even if they killed the, the son uh, of the, the vineyard owner, that wouldn't remove his authority over them. Uh, he called them to give God what God deserves. Uh, that parable with uh, Caesar and the coin. And the religious leaders, though, they're far more concerned with giving uh, preference to the, to the crowd. They, they fear what, what people think. They don't want to... Uh, recognize God's authority, but they recognize the authority uh, of the people. Their focus is all about the here and now uh, and living to please people. And the root of the problem for the religious authorities was that they were not listening to God's word. They weren't listening to God's word. And tonight we have these four uh, episodes. Two of them are going to be good and two of them are going to be bad. But the whole passage really revolves around the the right interpretation of the Old Testament. Uh, so that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. There's lots of Old Testament quoted in this passage. We have quotations from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, that there's people who've got their Bibles open, they're reading, but they're not really listening. And there's other people who have allowed the word of God to, to shape their lives uh, and bring them love for God. So should we read through the passage? It's a, it's a longish passage. It starts at chapter 12 and verse 18. The Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, 
Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and when he died he left no offspring. And the second took her, and when he died, and he died leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. They have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honour at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two <coughs> copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For all they contributed, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had to live on. Amen. So let's just work our way through these uh, four different episodes. Like I said, there's two bad ones and two good ones. Uh, this first one is a bad one, and we begin with these uh, people called the Sadducees. And Ian was telling me a great joke uh, before about the Sadducees. Uh, go on, Ian. You'll have to repeat it. No, okay. 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 
So the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and that was because that was why they were Sadducee. <laughs> yes, you've all heard that one, haven't you? Okay. Uh, yeah. So the Sadducees. Uh, they were a, a conservative uh, bunch within the Jewish leadership. Uh, they, I think I'm right in saying they, they only believed that the first five books of the Bible were scripture. Uh, so they held to the, the Pentateuch, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, and they were like super conservative, but they were also known for not believing in the resurrection. And that's what Mark points out to us here. Uh, he says the Sadducees, they say there is no resurrection so for the sadducees kind of all there is to life is is now uh, in in jewish theology not the sadducees theology but jewish theology in general the resurrection uh, was also the time of, of judgment it was a time of kind of where god calls everyone to account uh, so for the sadducees if there's no resurrection uh, then there's there's no judgment uh, and this kind of debate about the resurrection was, was big at the time of Jesus. Uh, and the Sadducees, they believed their position was a biblical one. So they asked Jesus this hypothetical question. They go to this Old Testament law about uh, marriage. When, when a, uh, a man dies uh, and he leaves a widow, uh, the man's brother has to take the widow as a wife uh, and continue uh, his, his brother's kind of family name. So you can, you can see the law if we turn back to uh, Deuteronomy 25. Verses 5 to 10. This is the bit they're basing their argument on. So if a brother dwells together and one of them dies and has no son... The wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. And if the brother ref refuses to do this, you can see uh, he's kind of, uh, it's a dishonourable thing. He gets... Uh, something to do with his sandal and he gets spit, spit in his face. Uh, if, if a brother refuses to, to do his duty here, uh, it's, a, it's a very dishonourable thing. But the Sadducees take this Old Testament law and they want to use it as a evidence that there is no resurrection. So they say, say this happens seven times and there's no children. Uh, the woman's been married to these seven brothers. When she gets to heaven, whose wife is she going to be? come on, the resurrection is, is ridiculous. It, it can't be. You can't, they're trying to put Jesus in a, in a corner again where he's got to pick between the resurrection or, or the law. And either way, he's going to be in trouble, it seems. How does Jesus, how does Jesus answer? Well, he says in verse 24, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the power of the scriptures nor the power of God. Must have been a shocking thing to them when Jesus said that. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. These were people who, who lived to, to read the scriptures. Uh, 
those two those aren't two reasons they're they're one reason the scriptures are the power of god uh, and as he goes to address their or answer their question he begins to tell them about what the resurrection will be like so verse 25 for when they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like the angels in heaven Jesus says part of the, the reason they're not understanding is they don't understand the power of God. They don't understand the resurrection. Uh, at the resurrection, there's not going to be marriage or giving in marriage. As uh, so Jesus says, their kind of conundrum that they've set him, it doesn't matter. And I find it amazing that Jesus, he has the authority there to speak to the people about what the resurrection life is going to be, be like. Uh, there's nothing in the Old Testament that tells us that about the resurrection. So Jesus just with all the authority that he's given, just declares to them what the resurrection life is going to be like. And then he takes them to uh, the Old Testament again to prove that there is a resurrection. He takes them to a very well-known passage. He calls it the passage about the bush, uh, the burning bush. Uh, and he says, what does, what does God say to Moses from the burning bush? He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So present tense, I am the God. Not I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. And then he says, he's not the, the God of the dead, but of the living. And then in case they've missed the point, he tells them again, you are quite wrong. You are quite wrong. So the, 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 the Sadducees, uh, they say there's no, no resurrection but they misinterpret the scriptures. And as I th think about the Sadducees, just reminded there's a great danger in coming to God's word to see only what you want to, to see. <laughs> they have this idea that there can't possibly be a resurrection and they come to God's word to try and find evidence uh, to, to back them up. Rather than coming to, to read and to listen and to be shaped by what's there, uh, they're simply looking just for verses that back up their, their own beliefs. I think sometimes we can fall into that trap, can't we, of coming to God's word just to hear what we want to hear. We can overlook bits of God's word uh, because we don't want to listen to what he's saying. And as we've been going through Mark, we've just been reminded again and again of the importance of listening and listening carefully. Uh, and so it's just a reminder for us to do when we come to God's word to come humbly uh, and to see what's there. So that's the first episode. That's a, a bad episode. The second episode is a, is a good episode. So this is the verses 24, 28 to 34. There's a couple of questions on your sheet. This is about a scribe who comes to Jesus. Uh, so the first question is, what is different about this scribe and his question? And why do you think that this scribe is not far from the kingdom of God? So just have a chat about those two questions on your tables.
So this uh, scribe, wh why, why do we think he's different? What's different about is this scribe and his question and all the other people that have been asking questions? No, he doesn't seem to be asking a trick question, does he? The others seem to be a question to try and trap Jesus or put him in a corner, but this seems a genuine question, doesn't it? Uh, I think there's other pointers there to give us... Uh, the idea that this man is on the right track. So verse 28, he's been listening, hasn't he? So he's heard uh, and he's been seeing that Jesus answered well. So hearing and seeing in Mark's gospel are good things. Uh, and this man has been paying attention uh, and listening to Jesus and he wants to hear more. Uh, many of the others have not wanted to hear Jesus answer. And he asked Jesus this question which is the most important command of all, all and Jesus replies by quoting two Old Testament passages so the first is from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and that's about loving the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and the second is from Leviticus 19 and that's that we should love our neighbour as ourselves. and Jesus said these, these make up the most important commandment 
elsewhere in the Gospels, he says that this, these two commandments are the foundation of all the law and, and the prophets, a kind of summary uh, of, the, of the whole lot. And the, the scribe's uh, response, we see there in verse 32, the scribe says, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and all your understanding, with all your strength, to love one's neighbour as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he adds that extra bit on, doesn't he? These two commandments are more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And I think this scribe sees what the other religious leaders don't see. Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple uh, and he turned all the tables over, didn't he? He was condemning what was going in, on in the, in the temple. And it's because they were doing all the religious sacrifices and burnt offerings, uh, but it was all kind of just outward. There was no true heart devotion to, to God there. They were trusting in the, the temple uh, and the sacrifices, uh, but not uh, really seeing what the heart of true religion was all about. Whereas this man sees that the substance of true religion isn't the sacrifices and the burnt offerings. The substance of true religion is the matter of the heart. So why do we think this scribe is not far from the kingdom of God? Why do we think Jesus says that? He doesn't say he's in the kingdom of God, he just says he's not far from the kingdom. I think so, Ian, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not satisfied to just go through the motions. Uh, he's seeking for the truth. I think as well, he's not blinded by his trust in these outward rituals. The, the people who Jesus drove out the temple, they, they were satisfied just to go through the, um, the ritual uh, and they thought that was it. They, they were happy to do that and they thought, oh, that's okay. Uh, that's all God's, God wants. Uh, but this man sees that there's more, more to it than that, that what God desires is, is a heart full of love uh, for God and for others. And we saw, didn't we, back in chapter 7, that Jesus was teaching about our hearts. Uh, and he said, let me find it. 7 verse 14, he talked about the, the problem of the human heart, that the things that defile us are the things that come out of our, our hearts. And so this man, when he sees the standard that the law is asking, the law isn't just asking for some burnt offerings and sacrifices, that the standard is much higher than that. It's, it's love for God and, and love for neighbour. Uh, this man is near the kingdom, I think, because when you see the, the height of the standard that the law calls for, or, or the aim it's after, you realise that you, you fall short, you realise that you need a new heart, uh, and the other religious leaders were far from realising that because they thought they were okay. Uh, so I think that's why this man is, is near the kingdom. He, he, he's, he's close to recognise his need for a new heart. We're thinking about new hearts and pure hearts on Sunday morning, weren't we, with 1 Timothy and the goal 
of Paul's charge for right teaching was love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Uh, and I think this man is, is, is close to that. So that's the second episode. The third episode, uh, the scribes get the Christ wrong. I've called that verse 35 to 40. So we're back in the Old Testament again. And Jesus uh, is quoting from the Old Testament and he's, he's teaching the crowds. There's a large crowd in the temple courts. Uh, it says in verse 37 that they're listening to him gladly. Uh, and as he's teaching them, he asks them a question. It's his turn now to ask the questions. And he says... Verse uh, 36, 35, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. It seems that the scribes were teaching that the Christ is, is only David's son. So they were this great King David and then the Christ was going to be David's son, someone like David, but perhaps not as great as David. Uh, and Jesus then says, well, if that's the case, if the Christ is only simply David's son, then why does David say the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand? There David is calling the Christ my Lord, which would mean he's much greater than David. But the scribes, they failed to recognise this. And because they failed to recognise the lordship of Christ, their kind of religion is empty and focused on their own glory. They won't, they won't look up and see anyone uh, greater than, than, than King David. And we can see that there as Jesus warns about the scribes and their kind of religion. So look at verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honour at the feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Can you see as we read those verses how man-centred the, the religion of the, the scribes is? They do their prayers, but they do them for show. They wear their long religious robes, but only so they can get respect. Their teaching of the law is all about them getting an important seat in the, in the synagogue. So their religion isn't about loving God and loving others, is it? Their religion is about kind of worshipping themselves and loving, loving themselves. And Jesus says... To everyone who will listen, beware, don't, don't be like them, watch out. That kind of man-centred religion leads to, to judgment and, and to condemnation. So that's the third episode, be, beware, of, beware of the scribes. The scribes get the, the Christ wrong. They won't look up and see anyone greater than themselves. And then finally, we this lovely fourth episode with the widow and her offering. 
seems they're still in the temple and Jesus is with his disciples and they're watching people come and put the money in the offering plate. And there's lots of quite rich people coming along and they're probably coming along with their big money bags and tipping it in. It's making a racket and everyone's looking and I'm being amazed at how much money they've put in. Uh, and Jesus highlights this widow and says, look at what she's putting in. So on your tables quickly, just have a chat about how much did the widow put in the offering box and why is this significant considering Mark 8, 35, Mark 10, 21 and Mark 12, verse 30.
So how much does this woman put in the offering box? Puts in everything. How much is everything? All that she had. All that she had. Yeah. She did, didn't she? She she did she did it. She gave she gave everything that she had. Jesus says she put in more than everyone else, uh, even though it was only two copper coins. And why do we think that's significant, considering those other references that I put down? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, these actions came from, like we said, a heart that is full of uh, love for God. And she's really showing all the marks, isn't she, of someone who's who's in the in the kingdom of God. She's someone who's full of loving devotion to God. She's someone who, in the words of uh, Mark eight thirty five, let me read that to you. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will will save it. I heard one table saying that she's exhibiting kind of trust. She's put everything that she has to live on. She's like just put her, her whole life in, in, in God's hands. She, she trusts him fully. And we saw that's what the disciples were called to do. They were called to, to, to keep trusting in God. So she's showing all the signs of someone who is is part of God's kingdom. She's lost everything now, but she's gained treasure in heaven. And as I just think about this passage, just a couple of words of application as, as we close. I think this passage is again calling us to repent of that kind of man-centered, self-centered religious activity that cares more about what other people think uh, than what God thinks. Uh, so it's calling us to repent of that empty religion that's all all leaves and no genuine fruits because that leads to to judgment. And it calls us to read our, our Bibles really carefully and let our, our Bibles uh, kind of lead us in love for God and, and love for others. That's the aim, isn't it, when we come to, to God's word, to see him more so that we will love him more uh, and so that we will we'll love others more. So, so they're the two things really. As we read our, our Bibles, are we, are we growing in love for God and, and, in, and in love for others? And let's just repent and turn away from man-centered religion, uh, religion that's about us and what others think of us. And there's some questions on there, again for your home group, and. Some pointers for our passage next time, which isn't a particularly easy passage, so it'd be great if you wanted to read it uh, before we came. That's Mark chapter chapter 13. Should we take some time to pray together? I've jotted some prayer points down here. So off the back of this evening's passage, we could pray that we would have humility as we come to God's word that we'd have hearts ready to receive from him. We could ask that God would forgive us for our kind of external religion or when we're just going through the motions uh, and that he would give us genuine love for himself and for others. 
there was a note on our, our Facebook page. We were praying for the school at Arkhome a few weeks ago, and I think Sports Reach have been in now, and they said it's been great just to build good relationships with the teachers, and it's gone really well. Uh, and they've done the walk through the Bible sessions, and the kids had loads of questions. Uh, so they said it's just been a really positive first contact. So we can thank God for that. Uh, we have our AGM on Monday, uh, so we can pray about that. We'd have a good evening looking back at how God's been faithful and that he'd guide us as we think about the future. <coughs> pray for our Sunday gatherings. I think we can keep praying, can't we, for those people that we know who, who don't yet know Jesus, our friends and our family members. Let's remember them by name and ask that God would, would save them. Uh, and then also, if we pray for those in our congregation who we know are going through a difficult time, uh, that God would just continue to, to keep them strong and, and be all that they need. Does anybody have any other things we can be praying for? Nope. Let's pray together and then I'll, I'll close.